have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, I want to say good morning to the, uh, to the remnant community. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes there, uh, this time of year. Am I not on? Oh, you know what? I'm on. It says I'm on. I don't know what to tell you. I'm on. Do I sound any different now? Okay. Yep. Okay, great. Um, well, as I was saying, good morning to the remnant community. And I'm really glad that uh, you guys are, are here. Um, you know, I was thinking about baseball this week. You know, it is that season, right? And uh, Yogi Berra was, is a pretty well-known uh, baseball player. He's a manager. He was a coach. But he's actually probably better known for some of his pithy sayings, right? And so here's a few of them that uh, I found. It ain't over till it's over. It came from him. Uh, I like this one. I never heard this one before. I like this one. No one goes there nowadays. It's too crowded. Think about that for a second. Okay. Um, he also said that the future ain't what it used to be. And then the last one, which is probably his most famous one, is deja vu all over again. Right? And when you come to a passage like this, if you're here in the Mark series, if you've been with us for a while, you know that just two months ago, you're like, wait a minute, didn't we just hear this passage? Well, yes and no. Uh, you heard a passage about a miraculous feeding, but not this one. These are two separate events. And, and uh, as I was sharing with uh, Mike and David this morning, the way that I'm setting this up is sort of like this is the first of a two-part sermon. The second part is coming from Mike next week because what we're going to see is that Jesus follows up this second event with taking the first event and the second event, and then he makes some comments about both feedings together about a significant issue that we'll talk about, especially next week. But I'm going to mention it this week as well. And so what we're going to see is there's a reason why Mark is, is bringing us back to another miraculous feeding. Because here's the reality. As John told us, tells us at the end of his gospel, there were many things, too many things, that Jesus did, too many that we could write down. So we had to pick and choose. So why does Mark pick and choose the same story, basically? Why give us that twice? I mean, he could have gone to another story in his place, something else that was to happen but it wasn't recorded. So why does he, in particular, say this twice? And that's what we're going to get at today, especially. I think. And so here's what I want to show you today. I want to show you what the disciples don't get, right? It's there in verse 4, right? What is it that the disciples are not getting again, we might say? And then secondly, I'm going to show you what everyone else gets. So we're going to look at what the disciples don't get and then what everyone else gets. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of take a few verses at a time here for each of these sections. And so let's look at verses 1 through 4. We're going to take them all together. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered... And they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been here with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. But some of them have come from far away. 
And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, I don't usually mention uh, commentators in sermons, but I am today. There's a guy named William Lane who wrote a great commentary on the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things that he notes in there is that when you look at chapters 6 and 7, which we just spent the last two months in, remember, the feeding of the 5,000, how chapter 6 begins, right? And so if you look at chapters 6 and 7, there's a pattern that gets repeated now in chapter 8. And here's the pattern. There's a miraculous feeding of bread to a lot of people, followed by conflict with the religious leaders, followed by miraculous healings. And in chapter 6 through 7, we've been seeing that for the last two months. And what you're going to see today is the beginning of that cycle again. Next week, conflict with the religious leaders. Mike's going to talk about that and also dovetails into what the disciples are not getting again. And then more miraculous healings. Why? Why is Mark showing us that there's this cycle that's happening here? Because I think Lane's right. Now, here's, the, I think, what the answer is. I think Jesus was trying to, to move the disciples to see who he is. And it's not worked yet. <laughs> so basically, Jesus takes them through the cycle again. And he, he confronts the religious leaders again, has it out with them again, and then followed by more miraculous healings. And then what you're going to see, the pivot point in Mark's gospel, which is the midpoint, at the end of chapter 8, there's going to be a transition, a transformation with the disciples. But I'm going to hang myself right now. So just know that that's coming. And so what Jesus is doing is taking them through that cycle again. And, you know, for, for those of you who are parents, right, um, I know a, a lot of our, our women who are parents are their way right now, but you know, for the rest of us here, uh, you know this is a lot like parenting. Like Jesus and the disciples is a lot like parenting. You know, where you say something to your child, and you're like, didn't we just talk about this? Right? I, I, didn't we just have this conversation 15 minutes ago, much less several days ago? And so you know that, that Jesus is sighing. He's like, here we go again. Right, And so Jesus is setting them up. And what I want you to see with me right now, just for a few minutes, again, because Mike's really going to take you there and understanding kind of the hardness of their hearts next week. But what I want you to see here is why. Why is it that after seeing this miraculous feeding of 5,000, after seeing miracle after miracle after miracle, remember, for those of you who've been here in our series since the very beginning, it's countless the number of miracles that have been performed. We've only seen a certain percentage, let's say, of the miracles that Jesus did, the ones that Mark chooses for intentional purposes of teaching to record for us. But there are all these, teach, all these miracles that are taking place here. And so here we get to verse 4. After all this wonderful teaching again, and it looks like the disciples don't get it again. 4,000 people in this desolate place, we're told in verse 4, which means wilderness, which means that they're in the middle of nowhere. And so after three days, uh, these, these, uh, these disciples, as it were, not just the 12, but also the 4,000 who are there to listen, uh, they're hungry, they're famished. And so I want us to think, just re- or look at, again at verse 4 with me again, where the disciples answered them and they said this, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now let's stop there and think about that, right? How is it? Think about the wording here. How can you possibly think about feeding 4,000 people with just a few loaves of bread, seven loaves. I think this gets to a picture that brings us into their world. Because as disciples, I know it's easy. We can read these stories and maybe on the other side of uh, becoming Christians, we can say, man, these disciples are so dense. I mean, they just don't get it day after day. But you know, the reality is we don't either, all right? 
We forget all the time, and that's what's happened here. They have forgotten the abundance of God. Now, why would they forget the abundance of God? I've been asking that question all week long. Why are they forgetting the abundance of God? And then I ask this question as soon as I ask that question. Why do I forget the abundance of God? Because the reality of my life, which is much like yours, I suspect, is that more more often than not, more days than not, I find myself living in anxiety. You ever live with anxiety? Foregone conclusion, we all do, right? Like, what is anxiety? I want you to just stop for a second. What is anxiety? Anxiety is my definition, as it were. Anxiety is trying to control the uncontrollable. I've often said that, but let me add to this. I think anxiety is fundamentally looking at resources and saying there's not enough to go around. And so in our world today, the reason, in part, reason why we are such anxious people is that we have such a limited scope of understanding of the resources of the world. Now, I know we could, we could talk about different social issues today, environmental issues and so forth, and, and say, yeah, man, like the resources, like there, there's more abundance than we sometimes let on to. But in, in a world of fear, and I think especially in the last three years, the world has contracted since COVID to make us more insular beings. We're less social, we're more insular. You hear me on that? Like, that's true. I mean, social scientists have shown that in research the last three years, that we're more insular beings, and as a result, we're more fearful. And I think that's in part the reason why anxiety rates are so much higher today, especially among our young people, but also among adults. And so anxiety is looking at the world and saying there's just not enough. And so what we see, we see the disciples looking at the seven loaves of bread, and they don't see a God-soaked universe. Hear me on that. They don't see a God-soaked universe. And I think that's the key. That's the key to unlocking their unbelief here. By the way, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is essentially saying, I'm in the pursuit of truth, and it's out there. I haven't found it yet, but I'm looking for it. Unbelief is saying, I don't believe there is truth, or I don't believe that this is truth. And what you're going to see next week, as Mike reflects on this, what you're going to see next week, Jesus says, this is not doubt among the disciples. This is unbelief, the hardness of their hearts. Just like the religious leaders, just like his own people, the disciples. There's a hardness of heart. There's an unbelief. And I think that we practice, we participate in that in our lives as Christians as well. When we say, man, there's just not enough to go around and fill in the blank with whatever your issue is with that. Right? And, and Jesus is saying, your vision, your scope is too small. And, and so what I see in these disciples is namely this. And we're going to see this within a few verses later with Jesus. When he gives thanks for the bread. Jesus, who is about to perform another miracle. Jesus, who, who has the, the abundant resources of the universe literally you know, in hand as he holds the bread. He gives thanks for them. If you want to know what is the number one way to combat anxiety, here it is. Gratitude. The number one way to, to uh, invite change and transformation in your life around anxiety, and I know I'm speaking to a lot of us in here, is gratitude. Where you are grateful and where you grow in gratitude, anxiety decreases. There's a correlation. You cannot get around it. And what you see here is that that Jesus brings gratitude into the picture, into a worldview that the disciples are practicing, where it says, Jesus, they're limited resources. How can you be thinking about them? We can barely feed ourselves, essentially is what he says here. And what Jesus is, you're going to see this again next week. Jesus says, don't you remember who I am? 
don't you remember what I did? I was at the monastery this past week with one of our elders. And uh, Monastery of the Holy Spirit. I said the monastery. There's more than one. But this one's called Monastery of the Holy Spirit. A few of you have been there. It's out in Conyers. As a side thing, let me just say this. If you really want some peace in your life, get thee to the monastery. Now, you just need to come back. But go to the monastery for the day. It's free. Um, and it is a great place. And I was, uh, Dan and I were there, and uh, we were spending some time apart in silent prayer. And, and I was just in this, this place where the, the sky was just cobalt blue. You know, it finished raining. It was just this beautiful blue, uh, beautiful spring breeze just blowing through this uh, hall, atrium hallway out, outdoors, essentially. The birds were chirping. And then the, the monastery architecture. I mean, it was just beautiful. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It is gorgeous. And I was just captivated by it. And, and what, what I, um, I felt like I was transported. I don't know how else to put it there. Like I, I felt for a moment that I was in the new heavens and new earth, meaning that I was in a world free of sin. I was in a, in a world that was completely transformed into the creation that God intended. The beauty of, of the skies, the breeze, the birds, creation, the architecture, which was beautiful, orderly, and symbolic. And for a moment, I just felt like, Man, the world is good. And, and I almost heard this voice say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And I, I found myself just filled with gratitude. I was, uh, not just gratitude for the moment that I had, but gratitude for all the little moments that I'll be able to, to, to put together. Some of you even keep a gratitude journal. You know, maybe you probably have done that before. It's powerful. powerful. It's hard to feel anxious when you're feeling gratitude. I was listening to a podcast this past week from Tim Keller. Uh, it wasn't from Tim Keller, but he was on this podcast. Some of you know that he's got stage four pancreatic cancer. He's the former pastor of Redeemer in New York. Uh, sort of a, some people consider him a C.S. Lewis for our day. And he knows that it's not a question of, of uh, if, but when. When pancreatic cancer, because there's no cure, it's stage four. What's remarkable, by the way, is he's had it for three years, and he's still doing remarkably well. It's amazing how immunotherapies and these other therapies that they're using for him, uh, how it's extending his life. But in this podcast, he says, look, I know the end is coming. It's, just, it's funny. I, I, uh, you know, I'm in my 70s, and I haven't thought a lot about death. And you would think as a Christian pastor, I might think more about it. But pancreatic cancer has caused me to think a lot more about it. And then when he went on to say this, the podcaster asked this question. They said, well, well Tim, was there ever a time in your life, was there ever a time in your life when, when you were suddenly just, like, man, I know that God is real. God is true. Maybe it's sort of like a Damascus moment or something like that. Has that ever happened to you? And he says, no. And then he went on to say this. He said, I don't, for most people, that's not how God works. Most people have not had a Damascus experience. It's dramatic. But most people come to the, the conclusion that God is good through an accumulation of minutia experiences. Small things. They went on to talk about gratitude. Small gratitudes, day in and day out. Now, I say that because I think with a story like this, we say, oh, drama, like, ah. But I think for most of us, that's not how Jesus works in our lives. It's through the minutia of gratitude every day that keeps anxiety or has the potential to keep anxiety back. So I want you to see this picture here of, of abundance because the signs of the bread are, are an expectation of abundance. And so I think there's an invitation to the disciples. I think there's an invitation to us. And that is to see our little lives multiplied through God's abundance. You see, the disciples are right to say there are only seven loaves here. 
But what they didn't understand was that God is in the business of multiplication. That's his math. That's how he operates. And so he was inviting the disciples by, by inviting them to come and help feed the people. Say, I want you to be part of taking your meager resources and I'm going to multiply my goodness, my kingdom goodness for the nations through you. And I thought, man, what a great picture for us. Because none of us individually by ourselves have a lot of resources compared to what the world needs is what I mean by that. But man, through you, God will, if you choose to, God will multiply what little you have. And so there's an invitation here to be free from anxiety, to embrace gratitude. The word gratitude literally comes from the word grace. To see God's grace, his abundance in our lives, which leads here to the second thing. And I want you to see now where we see God's abundance on display. It's not just in this miraculous event. It's more than that. But I want to look at secondly here. What is it that everyone else gets in this passage? And I want to first start with who is the everyone here? This is what in part makes this passage so much more different from the first feeding here. The first feeding, I didn't say this at the beginning for a reason. But the first feeding was on the lake, yes, but it was on the western side of the lake. Now, the western side of the lake was ancient Israel boundaries. It was the Jewish people. But on the eastern side of the lake, different side of the, the, you know, the rails there, uh, who lives there? The Gentiles. So remember, last week we talked about the faith of the Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman who's desperate. Remember this? And so she's desperate. And she's like, I'll, I'm going to push through every barrier. There's like, remember, five barriers that she had to push through. And she pushed through every single one of them to get to Jesus out of her desperate faith. And remember in this interchange, do you remember what she says? Jesus says, remember, you know, look, I need, I'm here first for the Jews, not for you. And she says, oh, but that means you're coming to us later. I'll take the crumbs. Now, what we see here in this feeding is the crumbs manifold. It's not just her now. The bread comes to 4,000 Gentiles plus. Jesus is fulfilling his mission. Now, think about that first feeding of the 5,000. Here's a little little, uh, Sunday school uh, trivia for you or a quiz for you. Let's see who's listening. How many baskets were left over after the first feeding? Twelve. That's right. Now, do you remember why that number is significant? You don't have to answer this time. Uh, do you remember why? Well, 12 was the sign of Israel. There are 12 tribes of Israel. Have you ever wondered why did Jesus choose just 12? Like he could have chosen, you know, five. He could have chosen 15. Why did he choose 12? It wasn't like the magic number for a small group or anything like that. Okay, so why does he choose 12? Because he's remaking Israel. And the 12 tribes of ancient Israel were represented in the 12 disciples. You see how that follows? So 12 baskets are left over because this is a Jewish miracle. This is a miracle for the Jewish people, for the feeding of the 5,000. Now, what's the number here? Did you notice what the number is here? Seven. You're saying, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, the area on the eastern side of the lake was called the seven lands of the Gentiles. So the first one's for the 12. Here it's for the seven. What is Jesus doing? He's fulfilling his mission. The first exodus was for the Jewish people. And they, and they sort of uh, practice it, as it were, through the feeding of the 5,000 there on the shores, the western shores. But for the Gentiles, new exodus, new creation life. Don't you see? This is a rich passage that's showing that God will complete his mission to the nations. He will feed the nations. And so I want you to see two things that these 
people receive, the everyone, us. Most of us in here are Gentiles by birth. So I want you to see two things that they received. Number one, they received the bread. You're saying, well, of course they received the bread. That's the miracle right here, right? Well, what did they do for the first three days? They received bread. You see, Jesus was feeding them for three days. And this is what is so profound to me. As I was reflecting and marinating this week on this, I was thinking, wow, they're willing to fast for three days because they wanted a greater bread than just physical bread. They're to the point of fainting, Jesus says. They're willing to give up the basic necessities of life because Jesus had something more that they needed. And what was it? His word. What was he teaching them for three days? The kingdom of God. And they were, they were captivated. So much so that they were like, forget about feeding ourselves. Out here in the desolate wilderness, manna from heaven, first exodus. Right? Forget about, like, we have the bread that we need, the manna from heaven, in the words of Jesus here. And it's only then that Jesus then has compassion on them. But I want you to just think with me for a second. And I want you to think about your life with me right now. Because here in the West, we have such easy access to the bread. And I don't mean, of course, just the physical bread. Like most of us in here have, have plenty of access to, to great food, great resources. This is a wonderful city for great restaurants and food. And so we have great access to all that. But I wonder as Christians how hungry we are this morning for the living bread. Uh, I, I, uh, survey after survey shows us that, that Christians are less and less um, open to, to learning the Scriptures. Survey after survey shows us that they're, 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 uh, they're, uh, it's not that they're unwilling per se, as much as they don't know how to access well perhaps the Scriptures. And that's what blows me away, is that we have such easy access to the Scriptures. And yet we're, we're missing an opportunity to grow and thirst and our hunger. And so I want to ask you this question before I move on, and that is, are you hungry this morning for the, the Word of God? And how is it that you're hungry? You know, it's one thing to come in here and listen to a sermon uh, or to maybe even attend a Bible study. It's another thing to say daily, I'm going to take the bread. I'm going to ask for my daily bread every day. There's a great resource that some of us use here called Lectio 365. And if you just want a great resource just for 10 minutes a day where you can say, I just want to learn something in Scripture, and then I want to pair a prayer to my Scripture that I'm learning. Man, Lectio 365. Great opportunity, great app. And there's a million different apps that you can use if you don't have a physical Bible in front of you. But I just wonder as Christians, how hungry are you for the Word? Because these people were willing to give up physical bread for it. But it leads to the second thing here, and that is compassion. The last thing that they received. The word compassion, we've said this before, it means to be moved in your gut. What that means is uh, that, that um, uh, you're to be overwhelmed uh, emotionally by something that breaks your heart. That's what compassion means. The word, it's a compound word. It means with passion, with suffering. Jesus himself in the passion play, the passion of the cross, with suffering. But here we see the same word used, with great mercy, with great empathy. Remember, we've been saying this the last several weeks. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, the writer of Hebrews says, that we have, yet without sin. Here's one who's fully human, who's fully empathic. And so Jesus, seeing how committed and passionate they are, is saying, Jesus, we are your disciples, we want to grow. We're Gentiles, what do we know? 
Lord, we'll take the crumbs. He says, I want to give them compassion. There's a book that we put it back out there again. It's a book that we gave many of you a couple months ago, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, we put them back out here this week because we know a lot of you have only been coming the last several months. And so we want you to leave here today. If you don't already have that book, right on the back side of that glass there, we want you to take a free copy of Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Because from, from page one to the very end, there's one theme in that book, the title, Gentle and Lowly. And chapter after chapter after chapter, Dane Ortland says, if you really want to know who God is, you need to know this. He leads with compassion. He is not leading as, as a God with austereness, severe, that sort of thing like that. No, in fact, I want to read to you just two verses from a passage that he brings up, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is where Moses says, I need to see you. I'm out here in the wilderness. I need the bread, the manna. I need to know, are you for us? These people, they're grumbling against me. I don't know if I can make it to the promised land. He's feeling some anxiety. And this is how God responds to him. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Ortland points this out in these verses. Your God, the very first thing you're going to say, who are you to Moses? What are you going to first say? And I don't know what you might choose, but here's what God chooses to say first about himself. He says, I'm merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger. And I'm bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And you're saying to yourself, well, well, why would you include, though, the very end of that where he says, yeah, but I'm going to punish. I'm going to punish the third and fourth generation. Here's why. Because right above that, it says his steadfast love to the thousands. Well, in another place, we see this as well. It's translated to thousands of generations. In other words, man, my anger, it's short compared to the length of my compassion. I'm leading with compassion. It takes a lot to trigger me to get angry is what God is saying. He says, but it's so easy for me to go to compassion. Ortland says, that is our God. And what we see here in this miracle is once again, Jesus saying, I'm leading with my compassion. And here's the result. This is where we end, verses 5 through 8. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets what is the result of Jesus feeding the masses? Satisfaction. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. It's a most famous psalm. You probably, many of you know it by heart, but certainly these opening verses are some of the most famous verses in all of the psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. How beautiful. That some of this most famous poetry in the Psalms is being enacted in the desert. He makes me lie down. Jesus has them lie down to receive the manna in the desert. There in the wilderness. The deepest longings of your heart, Jesus says, I want to satisfy those things. And I can do it in the wilderness. 
notice that this is not a banquet feast. Like there's no mention of a banquet feast here. This is desert life. And I think it's really important for us because most of us, where do we feel the anxiety? It's not at the banquet feast. It's in the desert. It's in the wilderness. It's when his parents are, are the, the parenting hasn't worked out the way that we thought it would. Our kids didn't turn out spiritually the way that we were hoping for. It's the anxiety that we feel because of the work that we do. And we're overlooked. And maybe we're overlooked for uh, because of our, I don't know, our race or ethnicity, culture. I don't know what it is, but, there, but regardless of what your circumstance is, you know that it's in the wilderness where you feel the anxiety. And Jesus says, I want you in your anxiety, think about what is the deepest longing of your heart in that place of anxiety. You see, anxiety is a sign pointing to something that we truly do need. And Jesus says, I want to slake your thirst in the desert. I want to feed you the living bread. I want to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And that in your loneliness, you know that you're never truly fully alone, that I am for you and I'm not against you. That in your disease-riddled bodies, to know that I'm making all things new, that one day no more tears, no more sorrow. Right, this, is the, this is the Jesus of the desert. This is the Jesus who leads with compassion. And as modern Americans filled with anxiety, how, how much more do we need this? The last thing I want you to see in this, this satisfaction, the result here, is that number seven again. See, I don't think it was just about the Gentile lands. Seven is also symbolic as fullness. It's, it's a picture of perfection. And what Jesus says is that if you will allow me to fill your lives through my scriptures, leading with compassion, learning who I am, you will find yourself in the places of anxiety saying, gratitude, I'm full, life is abundant. And so my hope and prayer is that we will be that church, that we will lead in a time and an age of, of abundant anxiety, that we will point people to the abundant Jesus who can slake our thirst and feed us and render anxiety powerless in our lives. Let's pray. Father, um, I know that, that I, I speak for so many in here, uh, that, that worry and anxiety, the things that we try to control that's uncontrollable, um, these things are what steal life out of us. Jesus, you are the bread of life who in the wilderness feeds. And so Jesus, I pray, would you come and, and feed your people this morning? Sometimes we're full of unbelief. We're going to hear more about that next week especially. But Jesus, today, would you remind us that you are the living bread, the bread of life that takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Jesus, that as you blessed and broke the bread, we are mindful and we remember as we were about to take the elements that you are broken for us. And that out of your brokenness, satisfaction and abundance for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that no matter how life goes, whether going well one day, poorly the next, you are always the same. You're always abundant. If we could only see and believe. May it be the case that you grow our faith, increase our faith to trust that you are goodness, you are abundance. We praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now we take some time to respond to God's word. And the first way we do that is through confession. And confession is simply us admitting where we've been off, where we've missed the Lord, where that separation has been in our lives lately. And it's, it's a beautiful way for reconnection. And so I just want you to stop for a moment. Just I want to give you some space to think about where are you anxious? Where, where is that place that's in turmoil inside of you? Let's try to put words to it a little bit, and then we'll come back together.
and ask the Holy Spirit to heal this place, heal those places as we confess together. Okay, so take a moment now. Now, church, let's pray this prayer of confession together as his church. God, we're exposed this morning. We're anxious, disbelieving in your goodness for us right now. All we can see is our meager resources that aren't enough for life. We believe there isn't enough bread to go around, and so we cling to what we have. Forgive us, Jesus. Multiply our lives outward through your abundance. Help us see what you see. Help us develop your kingdom vision for both our lives and this world. Thank you for that. You are, feeds us in the desert. Amen. Beloved, Scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to heal us from all unrighteousness. Receive his forgiveness. Walk in his peace today. Amen. And now we go to the table. And at the table, yeah, it's it's a place for connection. And, you know, I... I, I, obviously, I, you guys know I see a lot of people with counseling and caring for people, and anxiety is something that comes up pretty often. And one of the passages I love to point them to is where Jesus says, don't be anxious, which is a very right brain thing, if you don't know. And the right side of your right lower side is our amygdala. And there's a lot of, that's where fight, flight, freeze really comes from. And then what does he say next? Consider the lilies. Think about the birds. Think about your Heavenly Father, how He clothes the earth and He feeds the birds. You see what He's doing? He's integrating our brains. He's telling us, don't, don't just allow, don't just stay disconnected and allow that spot to take over. Think about, bring those two things together. Integrate here. You know, and the table is a time where we are, as Christians are told to stop and consider, to think about. Think about your Heavenly Father, the one who sent His Son Jesus to go to the cross in our place, to take our sin, to take our anxieties on Himself and pay for that for us. And then think about the day He will come back. Consider the hope we have that one day He'll come and there will be a fullness. There's no more lack of integration. There will be all goodness, no more tears. Why? So that today we're filled, we're connected with His love. Your words came to me, and I ate them, and they became satisfaction. They became delight, is what Jeremiah said. And so at the table, will you consider, will you think about, will you allow him to go in? Will you come hungry and let him fill you? With those this morning, if you don't yet know this, and I I, I pray, and we have prayed for you, that you would be hungry this morning, that you would long to be filled by him. But if, if you've not yet done that, it'd be inauthentic for you to have communion with a God that's not yet your God. And, and, and not yet your, your Savior in that way. And we want you to know the City Church is a safe place for you to stay in your seats, for you to just stay there and investigate and be curious long before you believe here. 
We'd love to even join you in that if that's questions you have. But with those helping with communion, please come. And as we do, I want you to remember the way, the way we take communion is that you'll come to the middle, come forward, take a piece of the bread, and dip it in the wine and grape juice and receive it before you go to your seats. And just FYI, our bread is gluten-free for those that need that as well. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he raised it in front of his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken and given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he raised it in front of them. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. The new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink of it as often as you come together. And we join with the saints who throughout the ages proclaim this great mystery, which goes like this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Brothers and sisters, when you're ready, come and take your meal with Jesus. ordinary bread and wine, would you multiply it? Would you connect with us, Jesus, lifting us up to be more and more like you, Jesus? We want your and need your righteousness. Fill us with your love so we can take that into this world and spend that currency to, to help everyone know for your glory that you are loving. We pray in your name. Now, friends, we continue worship by bringing God his tithes and our offerings.
song.